Well, we are uh, we're continuing our Advent sermon series. It's week number two. Uh, it's uh, I'm titling it, or I'm stealing the title. Uh, it's called Faithful Christmas Through the Eyes of Jesus. Uh, I told you last week that uh, I've been wanting, or through the eyes of Joseph. Sorry, Christmas through the eyes of Joseph. Jesus uh, didn't see a whole lot. Uh, I've been thinking for a number of years that it'd be fun to kind of. Uh, explore the character of Joseph, uh, often uh, not talked about as much as some of the other characters in the Christmas story, and so uh, we're going to do that uh, this year. Uh, Last week, uh, we kind of took a look at uh, one idea or the things that we could learn from one idea, and it was a simple idea. Uh, We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, but one thing that we do know is that he was a carpenter. And so we kind of explored what are, what are a few things that we could maybe know about Joseph that are helpful for us uh, uh, with the insight that Joseph was a carpenter. This week, uh, I want to take a look at uh, just two little verses right at the beginning of Matthew. Uh, and I basically want to make one uh, simple point this week. Uh, essentially that Joseph is awesome. He's incredible. He's amazing. It's a very simple point. Uh, And that we should try to be more like him. But I'll explain that in in a few moments. Uh, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Um, So this is how it starts uh, in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. All right, so I'll stop us there. So, so uh, Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph. This is not, they're engaged, but this isn't engaged in the way that we think about it. Sometimes with, with uh, engagement in the Western world, it's like, well, we're still trying this out, and we'll see if it works out, and maybe it ends in marriage Maybe it doesn't. Uh, There's less of a commitment level. When we're talking about them being engaged, we're meaning that this is serious. This is serious. The Hebrew word for betrothal is kiddushin. It it signifies sanctification or or separation. Uh, Like uh, the the, uh, the setting aside, the separating of a particular woman for a particular man. This is a serious commitment that they have made to each other in, in a first century uh, Jewish world. Uh, they're, they're serious about it. Uh, there's a couple things that would have happened in engagement. Uh, uh, and, and we learn about uh, some of these things uh, from what's called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is one of the oldest ancient Jewish writings that we have. Uh, and in the Mishnah, it even says that uh, adultery during the engagement period, during the betrothal period, would have been a more serious sin than adultery during marriage, if you can believe it. They took this so seriously, this engagement period. It, it would have lasted for about a year uh, and it would have been incredibly binding. Uh, essentially, they are already considered married. Uh, they're, they're, they're basically married already. There also would have been a really serious financial agreement between the two families already at, at this point, which would have, it would have been paid out to Mary's family primarily. There was something called the Mohar. Uh, the Mohar was money that was paid to Mary's family, to her parents, uh, it was essentially the, the price of a one-bedroom house. 
uh, and much of that would have been set aside uh, as a sort of savings account or kind of an insurance policy if, if the husband died in early death or if dis- divorce happened for some reason where it wasn't the wife's fault, then she would, that would have been her inheritance. It would have been the thing that she can live on. It's called the mohar. There also would have been an amount of money set aside called the matan. Uh, it, was, it was the amount that was given directly to the bride. So the mohar is given to the bride's family and is kind of set aside as an insurance policy. Uh, the matan is given directly to the bride and, and for similar reasons as the mohar. In case things happen, she has kind of a nest egg that she can take care of herself. So at this point, we are deep into this relationship, and any backing out of it uh, is going to be because of a really drastic situation, and it's going to come with really drastic consequences. We're in deep at this point, and, and to separate, to not get married... Uh, would have would have come with humongous ramifications. All right, so then the story keeps going in Matthew. Uh, it says, uh, but they but before they came together, and I'll stop there again. Uh, so Mary and Joseph may have essentially been married, but they still aren't actually married. Uh, And so they had not consummated the marriage yet. And that actually would have been strictly forbidden. Uh, It would have been a a terrible grievance. In in fact, in conservative Galilean families, which we don't know uh, if Mary and Joseph came from really conservative families or not, but in really conservative Galilean families, the couple could not literally be together before marriage, like couldn't be in the same room during their engagement. Uh, so so uh, not only had Mary and Joseph not slept together at this point, but they maybe didn't even really know each other that well. Uh, th- but, but this is the serious kind of commitment. So, so uh, they're committed to each other in a really deep way, but they haven't uh, uh, consummated the marriage yet. Uh, and then the story continues. Uh, uh, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, uh, which Joseph doesn't know about yet, right? He hasn't had the dream yet at this point uh, in the story. So Mary is suddenly pregnant, but Joseph has no idea that this is some sort of supernatural event that, is ha- that has taken place. Uh, he's probably got other ideas going on in his mind about what has happened. This, uh, the fact that Mary is pregnant at this point when they're so deeply committed to each other. And obviously Joseph's thinking, I haven't slept with her, so what's going on? This is completely and utterly disgraceful. And it would be today, too, but so much worse in this culture that that they're living in. This would have been humiliating for Joseph. Uh, He has to assume that his fiancée, essentially his wife, has cheated on him and is pregnant with another man's baby. Uh, This is completely and utterly disgraceful. Uh, I can't imagine the anger, the confusion, the total embarrassment that Joseph is feeling in this moment when he finds out that Mary is pregnant. So it's humiliating for Joseph, but it's dangerous for Mary. From her point of view, this is incredibly dangerous. The law, which which we read about in, in Deuteronomy, would have technically required that she be killed. At this point, the law would have said, Mary has to die for this. Uh, And there's a lot of evidence that uh, Jews at this time weren't actually following that law. Uh, But even so, the punishment for Mary would have been severe 
and humiliating herself. Uh, it, it would have been terrible for her. So Joseph has this decision to make at this point in the story. What will he do? How will he react? How will he respond? And the customary thing for him to do, the, the thing that uh, would have been normal, that would have been expected for him to do, uh, is to call the marriage off and to do it publicly. At this point, he's been shamed. Uh, he's been humiliated, disgraced by this event. And, and it would have been customary, okay, totally normal for him to just call off the marriage Publicly, He would have told the, the, the community what had happened. He would have called Mary out as an adulteress. And, and certainly the marriage, the wedding, would have been called off. Uh, Mary probably wouldn't have been killed, but she most certainly would have been ostracized. Uh, she would have been shown to be a harlot. Uh, she would have gained a terrible reputation. A few men would have considered her marriage material moving forward. Uh, all that money that had gone to her in these financial transactions would have been taken back. So she no longer has this nest egg anymore. And even her entire family would have been disgraced in, in the community. Uh, so this would have been the customary thing. Uh, but it would have been terrible for Mary, her, her life would have basically been over at, at this point. Uh, but Joseph doesn't want to do this. He, he doesn't choose that response. He doesn't make that choice. And we find out in verse 19 that Joseph is better than that. Uh, he takes the high road that almost no one else would have. And you wouldn't have expected him to do that. Uh, but he is a good man, what, what Matthew calls a righteous man. So this is, uh, this is verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Uh, this is an incredible, unimaginable act of mercy and compassion. This is an astounding response of grace. I, I can't... I can't emphasize that enough, how incredible Joseph's response here is here. Uh, author Adam Hamilton says this, Even though undoubtedly heartbroken, Joseph showed mercy to Mary. He decided to divorce her quietly. This likely meant that, she would say she had, that he would say he had changed his mind about the marriage. As it became evident that Mary was pregnant, people would assume that Joseph was the father and that he had had a change of heart after being intimate with her. He, not Mary, would have been seen as the, uh, as the dishonorable party in the relationship. He was to take all the blame. He would accept the stigma and shame himself rather than allowing Mary to be forever disgraced. Mary and her family would keep the mohar and matan, this money, as child support and alimony. Her dignity would remain intact and no one would be put to death. Again, very simply, this is an amazing man. Can you imagine doing that? You're the one who's been humiliated. You know that you've been faithful, and you are left to assume that somebody else, your wife, your fiancé, has been unfaithful, and yet you will take the shame uh, upon yourself. This is incredible. Uh, commentator Dale Bruner says, By giving Mary a letter of divorce quietly, unguilty Joseph was prepared to take social shame on himself without complaint. And such decisions are forms of Christian righteousness. 
Righteousness is not only the determination to be personally impeccable, but often the determination, if necessary, at one's own expense, to bear the guilt of others. Ah, This is phenomenal. Uh, Again, Adam Hamilton says, Despite his pain, he still felt compassion for Mary. He showed mercy, forgiveness, and grace. He felt hurt and betrayed, but refused to denounce her publicly and humiliate her. That, I think, is remarkable. And I completely agree with him. Joseph is the perfect picture of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Uh, He perfectly embodies it. Uh, And I find myself wondering how many more times, as Jesus was growing up, did Jesus see these attributes in his father Joseph? How often did he watch Joseph show mercy to those who wronged him? How often was Joseph compassionate to those who hurt him? How often was he the image of forgiveness? Joseph is an incredible mentor for Jesus, perfectly demonstrating here in Matthew uh, how he is ready, uh, with how he is ready to treat Mary, what Jesus will eventually do uh, on the cross. Joseph's willingness to divorce Mary quietly and take all the blame upon himself, sparing her life at his own expense, is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. And he learned it from his father. Jesus' story on earth begins with the shaming of Joseph, and ends with his own shame. But the story starts with Joseph. Jesus' story starts with Joseph. Joseph consciously chooses shame in order to spare Mary of shame and death. And in doing so, he makes space. He allows the Messiah to enter into the world. He actually makes room for the incarnation to take place by embodying his own, by, by taking on the shame that was due someone else Uh, and being willing to take that on himself. Uh, And Joseph undoubtedly continued to model this humility throughout his life. Uh, I think Jesus would have seen this over and over again throughout his life as he was preparing for his ministry and eventually his death. So then Jesus consciously chooses the shame of the cross in order to rescue the world from shame and death. Uh, And in doing so, he completes the messianic mission that Joseph allowed to begin. Joseph, through his willingness to sacrifice, to submit to shame and embarrassment and humiliation, allows the incarnation to begin, uh, allows Jesus to enter the world as the Messiah, And in the end, Jesus learns what what he has to learn from his father, and he completes the messianic mission by doing exactly what what Joseph had done before. Jesus wasn't to blame, and yet he takes all the blame, sparing the world at his own expense. And he learned this sacrificial posture from his father, Joseph. So I want to end this morning with a few things that this story invites us to think about. Uh, I think that this story invites us to ask the question, how will, we re- how will we respond when we have been harmed, wronged, or hurt? What will our response be? Will we choose to forgive and to continue on in the relationship? Will we just put things behind us? And completely move on? Well, maybe. 
But even Joseph wasn't even, not even Joseph was going to do that in the story, right? He was ready to divorce Mary before an angelic visitor shows up. So even Joseph wasn't going to do that. But we have that option. When we've been wronged and hurt and harmed, uh, we can totally forgive and move on. Or will we move on from that relationship? We're done with that relationship, but we do it with dignity and kindness and compassion and mercy like Joseph models for us. Some people are toxic and harmful, and when they've pained us, it's best to just move on. Uh, But I think there's good ways to do that, and there's harmful ways to do that. There's ways that are are full of dignity and kindness and compassion and mercy, uh, and then there's ways that are full uh, of spite and anger and vindictiveness and vengefulness. Uh, And we have this choice to make when we've been hurt. How will we respond? I would hope that we choose a road that somehow resembles mercy and forgiveness. I would hope we could find a way to be compassionate with those who have hurt us, like our model Joseph, rather than seeking to humiliate or to be vengeful. Inherent in the Christmas story is the call to a merciful and compassionate life of sacrifice and submission. If we learn anything from the character of Joseph, I think this is the most important thing, uh, is that inherent in the Christmas story is the call to be merciful and compassionate to sacrifice and submit ourselves on behalf of others. It's inherent in the incarnation. Joseph, in the midst of the hardest decision he probably ever had to make, chose to not let his anger and humiliation get the best of him and instead chose grace. So may God grant us the strength to act like Joseph, to be people of mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are to you for your mercy and grace. We see the ways that we fall short, the times when we have strayed from your path, the moments when we brought pain to other people and to you. Please forgive us. Wash us clean and make us new and help us to be, like Joseph, people who show mercy to those who have wronged us. Help us to forgive and to release our urge to seek retribution. In Jesus' name, amen.